Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Well, that's good. You should be doing good. We're at the end of June already. We're six months till Christmas. It's great, isn't it? I easy, all right, man. Struck a nerve on that one. Wow. Whoa, we got a touchy crowd today. Um, well, we're going to talk on, uh, this is our last one in the series, uh, Better Decisions. It's been a fun series. Hopefully, it's been very beneficial to you. A um, few things before I get into the last message here, and that is just a reminder that tonight, a few details about tonight, starts at 6 o'clock. And this is our first of three. One, each month in the summer, we'll have an outdoor gathering out there. Uh, it's free tacos, but there's only 300 tacos, okay? And then uh, you're going to get a ticket and get up to two tacos each. Starts at 6 to 6.30. Then at 6.30 to 7, we have a word and worship. Then at 7 o'clock, you can get back in the taco line for the snow cones before and after also. I'm telling you, Mendoza snow cones, I grew up with them. Anybody amen that one? I mean, I'm, 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 I, and back then, you know, like today we have 300 TV channels we can choose from. Well, back then we only had a few things to choose from, and Mendoza snow cones, red and yellow syrup only, my friends. Make sure it's red and yellow, get that, and I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. My mouth is watering thinking about it. They're so good. Bring your lawn chair. Everything ends at 8 o'clock, and uh, should be a good time. Like I said, every month in the summer, we're going to have one of these outdoor fellowship times. All the campuses are invited, so it's going to be really good. Remember I told you last week about next weekend, July 4th weekend? Do you remember that at all? Yes. Okay, good. Let me, let me rehearse it again. And let me tell you why I rehearse these things, because I've been in church work a long time. You don't know how many times we have made an announcement from the pulpit, screens, everything, three weeks in a row. Social media, here, everywhere, and when it happens, somebody says, how come I didn't know about it? <laughs> I really couldn't answer that one, but obviously you weren't paying attention or you don't come to church here. It's one of the two. But so next weekend, we're not having services on Sunday because that's July 4th. We want you to spend it with your families. We're going to have service, just one, on Saturday at 10 o'clock. We're going to squeeze you all in however we squeeze you in. So it's here. And we're not going to live stream on Saturday. We'll record the Saturday service. We will post it on Sunday morning at 9 and 1030. So that's the way it's going to roll. Amen? Amen. Okay, God bless you guys for that one right there. Uh, let's see. So we're going to talk today on uh, the topic in demand. And we've been in a series on making better decisions uh, because it's very important to make good decisions in life because they have consequences, right? Don't they? And we told you before, if you make a wrong turn while driving, you lose five, ten minutes. You make a wrong turn in life, you can use, lose five, ten years. Amen? So decisions are important. So I'm going to talk about this idea of being in demand. Decisions that make you and I in demand. So let me put it to you this way. Um, how many of you remember 1973? Okay, that, you guys are really old out there. Aren't you? <laughs> but I remember it too. So December of 1973, something happened. And it was uh, the first energy crisis. Now do you remember that? 
when they, when our gas lines were really long, you know, like at going to Sam's Club right now, um, but they were longer than that. They were so long, they were around the block, guys, for those of you who weren't alive back then. I remember I used to get off, I used to go take my lunch break from Corona Senior High School as a senior, and I'd go down and get in line to get gas because the lines were real short at lunchtime, you get in pretty quick, but after that, boy, it was over. Because they had us believing that the world was running out of crude oil and thus running out of fuel. You pretty much believed at that time that they had you believe at that time that this would be the last full tank of gas that you would ever get in your life. Anyone remember that? And so they were dumping all the gas heaters and everything else and et cetera, et cetera. Now, let me sidebar real quick and let me talk to you young people why you, so you understand us older people a little bit better. Us older people have already lived through stuff. We've already been lied to enough. Any amens? We don't trust anything or almost anything when it comes out new and they're saying this and that. We don't buy it right away. Right, older people? Now, let me, let me, so when we've already been through, they lied to us about fuel, not just once, but then two years later, they did it again. Remember that? And it was all just to jack up the price. That's all it was about. So I'm going to tell you this. I'm not saying it's not real, but I'm going to tell you that last year when COVID came out and all these things about it came out, how many older people are like, oh, I'm not buying all that yet? Because we've already lived. We've already been through stuff. And we know that every time they come out and say all these things about something brand new, they don't know all the answers yet, right? Like back in the 80s, here's my example. When HIV first came out, they said all these ways and it could be transferred this way and that. Then about a year or two later, and half of it was a lie. Half of it wasn't even true. So we don't buy into it really quick, right? Us older people. So now you younger people understand a little bit of why us older people are skeptical about things that come out and people act like they're, they're professionals and they know everything about it from the get-go. No, they don't. No, they don't. It takes time. And everybody said? Okay, I don't know where I'm at now because I wasn't going to talk about that, so let's see. Okay, energy crisis. Back then, we're running out of fuel. So long lines, everybody had to get gas. And then I've lived through also in the early 80s when my daughter Vanessa was a baby. Now, how many remember Cabbage Patch dolls? Do they still have those? No? Yes? Okay, how do you know? No, I'm just joking. Um, but I remember when they came out it was the craze. Now, my wife happened to be at a store where they were selling Cabbage Patch dolls back then. She didn't know what they were, but she saw all these ladies going insane trying to get them. And so she just picked up two, and she bought them, only to find out like a day or two later that these things were like the deal right now. And so she got a couple Cabbage Patch dolls for our daughter Vanessa. So she got those because it was insane how people wanted those things. And there weren't not enough to go around. So that was another one. And then this last year, who would have ever thunk it, thought it, whatever the term is, that toilet tissue would be the deal, right? <laughs> uh, I go, is there some, is this, are we all on laxatives? What's, what's going on? <laughs> you know, it's almost like, well, I'll never get another roll of toilet tissue again. And so... You know, people went crazy over that stuff. Now, when it comes to gas, when it comes to Cabbage Patch dolls, whatever else, and toilet tissue, what made those three things in demand? And the answer is very simple, scarcity. The idea that there's not enough to go around. So it made that item in demand. 
Today I want to talk to you, and I would really encourage, you know, as you get older in life, young people, please listen. Please listen so you avoid mistakes. There's a way and there's a biblical pattern that God gives us that you can become a person that's in demand. That what you do in life, that you can become so good at it through your skill set that you can be someone that people want in their business and in their company. You can be in demand. And that's what I want to talk about today. But it takes right decision-making in your life on a very, very regular basis. So let's hold that thought, and let's go to our key verse for the series. It's our last time we're going to say it, so would you just encourage me and just say it out loud with me? Here we go. One, two, three. The evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. Now we've said week after week after week. Prudent person, you know, they see evil. The prudent person it means sensible. It means shrewd, but in a good way. They look down the road. They're wise. They know this decision will lead to destruction or loss, but this decision will lead to good things, productivity, and they'll always choose the right decision. They're very prudent. They look down the road. But the naive person, they don't look down the road. I mean, naive means um, they can be talked into anything. They, they, just, they don't look down the road. They just go on with whatever it is, and they suffer for it. And that's why you, you all know somebody right now, you've watched their life just a circle. It's always the same thing. It's always the same thing. It's all, and they never look down the road. Any amens on that? And so we want to be wise. And the Bible's filled with wisdom on making right decisions. So in our future... We have a preferable future. Amen. Now, here's our statement, and I want to bank on this a little bit today. But one, two, three, today's decisions affect tomorrow's situations. Remember, today's decisions affect tomorrow's situations. So um, let me give you a story real quick, and I want to use this statement real quick. Not real quick. It'll take a few minutes. So I'm driving home last Sunday, Father's Day. You know, I'm going eat, take my Father's Day nap because I'm entitled. And I'm, I live in Corona, born and raised. I'm driving down Main Street. I'm at the Grand Boulevard signal heading south, but on the north side of the 91 freeway. There's a young man starts walking across the crosswalk. And I could tell he was homeless. And he doesn't have any shoes. He's walking in his socks. And I'm thinking, I... I I got 20 pairs of shoes at home. This guy doesn't have any shoes. And he, he gets by me, and I, mind you, I, I'm not in the left turn lane, so I can't turn left. So it turns green, and I, and I go forward, and, and guys, that hair in my mouth? Who did that to me? <laughs> Look, when you're older, you could care less about that stuff. Um, and then I get to the other side of Grand. You know, the whole way, God's just talking. You know, this guy don't have shoes. You know, buy him shoes. Okay, no problem. So I go down Grand Boulevard. I'm going to go find that guy. And I find him. And I see him coming up Grand where he was walking. And I pull in off, I think it's Joy Street in Grand there where that signal, uh, train signal is, right? Is that it? Yeah. So I pull in that little strip mall right there. And I park. And he's coming. And he's coming by. I go, I go hey. And he gets a little startled because, you know, he's homeless. But I go, hey, you don't have any shoes? 
uh, he's a little bit, he goes, can I come down there? I go, come down, because it's a little embankment. And we're talking, I'm in my truck, he's, I'm talking to him there. And I said, I'll get your shoes, but just tell me where you're going to be. And he couldn't tell me where he was going to be. And mind you, I've already bought shoes for a homeless person. Tell him, wait here, and then I come back, and I can never find them again. So I've already been down that road. This time I go, I, I need to make sure he's going to be this place so I can bring in the shoes. What size you wearing? And then he, 11, no, 13, no, 12. He's giving me everything. And he couldn't tell me where he's going to be. And I thought, I'm not going to go buy him shoes. He'll, who knows where he's going to be? And, and I kept trying, couldn't, couldn't pin it down. Then I said, Do, are you familiar with Corona? And he says, yes. And then he says this, I created Corona. <laughs> okay, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but homeless people sometimes, you know, you know what I mean, right? Or drugs can do that to a person's mind. And, you know, you've been in pastoring long enough, you know this. And so I go, okay, this, I go, you have family? He goes, well, it's complicated. I'm from Ontario, uh, the city, but it's complicated. I, and I thought, yeah, I'm sure it is. And then I said, is there anyone, anyone that you know of? Because I'm thinking, you've got to know someone. And he says, well, I have a girlfriend. Okay. But he said, I got my phone stolen or lost or whatever it was. He goes, can I give you her phone number? Can you call her? I go, yeah, I'll do that. And so he gives me the number and I call her and, I, and I, she doesn't answer. I leave a message. I go, so-and-so, I can't remember his name now. So-and-so's here. He's, he's homeless on the street, doesn't have shoes. He says, he knows you, that you can help him. And I hung up and long story short, then I, then I went home because I couldn't pin this guy down to where he's going to be at. I get home, I'm about to take my nap on Father's Day, and the phone, I see the phone number right there, and it's that number. And, and uh, so I answer, I go, hello? I go, she goes, hi, I go, yeah, and I explained to her, I'm the guy who called this and that, he's, she goes, oh, so thank you very much, you know, he's this and this, but you know, his family, it's really a mess up situation because he burns bridges, basically, and I'm thinking, like, I couldn't figure that one out. But, and then so I tell her, I, she goes, can you tell me where he's at? Text me where he's at. I go, hung up, and I text her the areas where he probably would be at. And so a couple hours go by, and she texts me back, and she says, I found him. Oh, great, okay, good. I thought, okay, good, it's over. And so I come to work the next day, and I have staff meeting. And I come out of staff, and I'm sitting in my office working on stuff, and, and I look, and my phone's ringing, and it's that phone number again. And let me tell you something right now. As a senior pastor... I don't give my phone number out to too many people because you never have a moment's rest because people are going to find you every, they already can get you on Messenger, okay? You know, and they can already tell you bad stuff on Facebook, so what do I need more, right? Um, and trust me, people tell you bad stuff. So, uh, I mean, tell you as a person that something bad about you. Um, and so I, I don't give it out, but I, oh my gosh, yeah, they have my number. So I answer it, and this, no, I didn't answer it because I had things to do. Then I called back, I said, hi, calling back, and she said she needed advice. This is the girlfriend. She's calling me for advice. She don't even know me. And we're talking, and, and, and this and that, and she tell me, and uh, she says, yeah, this, she's talking about this guy's my boyfriend, but he takes me through all these problems. And then she, in the second hand, she says, you know, there's this other guy interested in me, and she's telling me all this stuff about him, and I'm thinking, are we crazy? <laughs> And now I'm counseling, who, who is this person? I'm counseling on the phone, and then she tells me this. She goes, I, I called you back because I need advice, and you, you have such a soothing voice. 
I thought, no one has ever told me in my life I have a soothing voice. If anything, they've always told me, you don't have a soothing voice. <laughs> and now I'm counseling this person on the phone and I'm listening to these stories and the kinds, listen, not, I'm not trying to be negative, but the kinds of guys that she's picking, and then I find out she's 42 years old, and I, and I finally said, do you understand the one guy over here? You don't even know if that guy's a serial killer because I'm, and I don't want to give you the whole situation. I go, you need to back off that. And then so I said, look, 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 look. Here's what, long story short, I said, you're 42. You got 40 years left of your life. How do you want to live it? How do you want it to play out? You want to live a good life? You know, you want to pick somebody that's always going to be pulling you down, you're having to pick them up and always having to try to fix them all the time. Is that what you want to do? Or do you want to find somebody that is going to be there for you, be nice to you, be healthy and take care of you? I go, it's what you want. You got 40 years. I said, you got to make some good decisions for yourself right now. You got to start now. Because you want to live a good life with the amount of life you have left. And and obviously I'm a pastor, so I'm telling her about Jesus and relationship with Christ and forgiveness of sins and this and that. She goes, oh, my sister, she's Christian. She tries to get me to go to church. I go, go with her. Go with her. Because only Jesus can guide you. He'll show you the way. And then at the end, she was very thankful. She goes, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I, I knew you could give me advice. And I'm thinking, I hope I did. But guys... How much life do you have left on earth, physically? I know as a Christian, we're going to live in eternity. I get it. We all know it. But how much life, and, and how do you want to live the life? And how you want to live the life is very much dependent on the decisions you're going to make in your life from here on out. And I want to talk about today about the last piece of making good decisions. And that is make decisions starting now for the rest of your life that's going to lead you to a place where you as a person, whatever you do for a living, you're always going to be in demand. What you bring to the table will always be needed because you've developed yourself, because you've done what you've got to do. And that's what I want to talk about today. So I'm going to read one verse. This is not my normal style. Biblically, I'll usually read a text, dissect it. But today, just one verse, and I'm going to dissect that verse in three points. Then I got a couple of cross-reference cross verses. Then at the end, taking a Bible story to drive that baby home, okay? So here we go. Let's read the first verse. The key verse for this today is this. Proverbs 18, 16. I would like you all to read it with me. One, two, three. A man's room for him and brings him before great men. That's going to be the verse now. Point one, and that's this. I have God-given gifts and abilities. Is that true? It's true of all of us. Every one of us have it. Now, one piece of that verse we read is this. A man's what? Gift. gift. So, we all have gifts. We all have abilities. We all have talents. We all have those things. You say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. God has endowed you with gifts, abilities, and talents. Now, you've got to find what they are. Now, let me tell you. If I went home on Friday and my wife told me, you know, Jim, the brakes on my car are squeaking. 
In fact, I hit the brakes. They're not stopping the car very well. Um, I go, okay. Now, if I took that on Friday and I woke up early on Saturday morning before she got up, put the car on jacks, you know, if, I, I don't own jacks, but if I, if I had them, put the car on jacks, took the tires off, and I rebuilt, you know, the flux capacitor on the brakes and did all the, you know, the commando calipers and stuff like that and did everything. And I fixed the brakes and I put everything back together. And then Olivia, I come in, I go, Olivia, good news. I worked on all your brakes. I fixed them. They're good to go. Question, would Olivia ever drive that car again? No way. No way. In fact... My wife would wonder if I didn't up the life insurance policy money on hers to see if I could get more money with her driving that car. True story, what I'm going to say next, when we did get our life insurance policies, this last set about 10, 12 years ago, mine, the money on me is really high so that she has plenty if I die. So if I die weird, you better check it out, okay? The amount of money on her that if she goes first is $100,000. Now, she wouldn't let me put more money on her because in her own words, she said, I don't want you having any fun if I die. <laughs> what, am I going to go break my hip on a disco dance floor? What? Really? Oh, you're not having any fun, buddy. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Now, but my wife would never, ever drive that car again because I'm not a mechanic. I'm not gifted at mechanicry. I'm, not, I'm glad there's other people that have great gifting at that and you're so good at it. I mean, I'm glad nowadays that you can just speed through and get your oil changed. Back in the day, remember we used to change our own oil? Remember that? And remember we take the oil and dump it in fields? Remember that stage? <laughs> Now, be honest. How many remember that? Just raise your hand. We used to, I used to do that way back when. Now it's like, what are you doing? You're destroying the earth, you know. Well, there's no more fields left anyway, but anyway. But yeah, so she would never do it. Now, let me tell you a story about gifting and finding your gifts and how it works. Some of you, you, you know basketball. And there was a guy, and I heard this story. I had to go back and look it up. A guy by the name of Mark Eaton passed away last month. How many know who Mark Eaton is? Remember that name? Okay. He's a pro, he was a pro basketball player from 82 to 93. Mark Eaton went to, um, went to UCLA, never played. Sat the bench, seven foot four. Never played. He gets drafted in the fourth round of the NBA draft. It's just a project. Because like the saying goes in basketball, you can't teach height. You either have it or you don't. But if you have height, we can work with you. But he gets drafted. One day, he's in one of these, uh, you know, rookie deals, uh, practicing, and he's chasing around these little guards. He's 7'4", and he can't, he can't keep up. And he's sitting there, and he stops. He puts his hands down, and he, and he thinks to himself, he says, I don't have what it takes to play at this level. I don't have what it takes. And he thought, it's over. It's done. At that moment, he said, somebody puts a hand on his shoulder, and it's Wilt Chamberlain. Will Chamberlain, one of the greatest centers of all time, seven foot one. And Will Chamberlain told him this. He says, look, your job isn't to chase around the guards. Your job isn't even to score points. You're not good at that. 
But what you are good at is you can block shots and you can play defense and you can rebound and you can pass the ball out to the little guards and let them run. But that's what you do. Do what you're best at. And he says that day, everything changed for him. He started focusing on what he could be good at. And this guy, this project player who never played at UCLA, sat the bench the whole time, he went on to play 11 seasons in the NBA. Two-time defensive player of the year. Even got elected to an Ulster game one year, he didn't even score points. But he had a great career. Because someone gave him that nugget of wisdom that he needed. Do what you can do and good, be good and get better at what you can do. And you'll always have a career. And he had a great, great career. Listen, you got to find out what are you good at? What, is that, what are those gifts and abilities that God has placed in you? And then begin to work on it. Because God has put them in you to be able to be utilized. And if you work on them and develop ability in them, the ability of it, you're going to see some great things happen in your life. But every one of you is gifted. Every one of us in this room. There is no doubt about it. I don't care what anybody told you. Otherwise, you have gifts and abilities that God has placed within you. Any amens? Point two is this. My gifts create opportunities. Your gift will always create opportunities. Now, the middle piece of that first verse is this. Read it with me. One, two, three. A man's gift makes room for him. Now we find out that your gift and abilities... They make room. Now, the word gift in that message is the idea of a literal gift. It's the idea of a bribe of a gift that opens doors. It's, that's what it means, literally. But I'm using that word gift there. The application of it, once I take the literal to the application, is that I have gifts, and now my gifts, they can open doors. A man's gift makes room. Makes room means, means to widen. It begins to widen and open doors for you in your life because you have this certain gift and ability. Let me tell you what this means. We all have potential, do we not? We all have potential. Is potential in and of itself enough to succeed? The answer is no. So you've got to couple some other things with it. And one of the verses I love to put with this verse is also found in Proverbs. Proverbs 22, 29. Let's read that together. Watch this. One, two, three. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before... He will not stand before obscure men. Oh! Now we find that if a man is skilled in his work, he takes his potential and develops a skill out of that, he will stand before kings. Now, the word skill there is a great word that the writer uses. It means to flow like water. It beca you become so fluid. You become so good at what you do that, man, you become in demand because you know exactly what you're doing. Now, the question is this. How do I get to that point? How do I get there? If I have gifts and abilities and I have potential, well, there's a simple process to it, and that's this. Three steps in your notes. The first one is... Daily preparation leads to skill. Say that with me. Daily preparation leads to skill. If God gave me this gift and ability, these gifts and abilities, then I need to spend a lot of my time developing my gifts and my abilities, right? 
I got to develop it because that leads to skill. Now, once I become skilled, I'm flowing like water. Guess what? That's the next thing in life that skill breeds confidence. Does it not? Doesn't matter where you're at, who you're with, whatever. You know what you're doing. You know how to do it, right? And you know you're gifted that way. And you've got a lot of experience. And you've been working on it day in, day out, day in, day out for months and for years. And you're really good at it now. Well, guess what? You have confidence because you've rehearsed it so many times in your life. Now, once you get preparation leading to skill and with confidence, that's the third thing. And that's this. Preparation and skill lead to being your best when your best is needed. Say that bottom line. Your best when your best is needed. That's a John Wooden quote. Be at your best when your best is needed. Now, <clears throat> you get to that point of these God-given abilities and this potential God has given us and you develop it day after day after day and you get skilled at it and you're very confident at it, you're now at your best when your best is needed. And there's going to come a moment when that door opens up, right? There's going to come that moment. Will you be ready? Will you be developed at that moment to step through that door? That's the question. Because if you're not, you'll never step through the door. Windows of opportunity, when they arise, when they come, it's too late to prepare, right? Should have been preparing long before that window opened up in your life. Now, I'm going to ask a question. It took first service a couple tries to get this, okay? So if it takes you, if you get it right away, you're smarter than they are. Question, listen closely. How many of you in this room are a 15-year overnight success story? Do you know what that means? Do you not know what that means? It means there are no overnight success stories. It took you 15 years, maybe 20 years of doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, till you finally became really good and it opened up doors and now you're a success, right? Now do you understand it? So how many of you in this room are a 15-year overnight success story? It took time, didn't it? It took time. But you stayed at it, you stayed at it, you stayed at it with the gifts God gave you. You kept working on it, working on it, working, getting better at it, very confident at it. And now you're at your best when your best is needed, correct? You're ready to roll, man. You're in demand. Now, I would ask this question. Then why is it that some people never reach that place where they can be a 15-year overnight success story? Because there's plenty of people like that. Well, let me give you a verse that I think might help. And that's in Ecclesiastes 10.10. I like this verse a lot. Would you read it with me? It says, If the axe is dull, he does not sharpen its edge. Then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. I love this verse. Is the Bible practical or what? Look, he says, look, if the axe is dull, you're going to waste a lot of time and energy trying to chop down a tree, right? Abraham Lincoln said, if I've been given eight hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the first six hours sharpening the axe. Right? See, you spend your time preparing, developing skill, so you become that sharp axe that you can 
waste little time and get it done faster and very good at it because you're sharp, you're skilled. A dull axe, a person that doesn't develop themselves, are you going to use a dull axe to chop down a tree? Then no way. You're not going to hire anyone like that. You're not going to do these things in your life because you know that person can't do it. They may have potential, but they've never developed the potential. You see, you and I, with what God has given us, and He's given everyone some stuff, We've got to develop these things, make right decisions, right decisions, right decisions, right decisions, keep replaying it, make the right decisions, and you develop yourself to the point you're very confident, very skilled, that you're at your best when your best is needed. And that's true of everybody in this room, and some of you know it from experience, amen? Now, that leads to point three on this, and that is my skill level elevates me to higher levels. My skill level elevates me to higher levels. Now, I'm, let's read the whole verse again. Now watch, and we'll put it together. One, two, three. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Ah. It says it brings him. It means it transports him. Before great men, important men, important people, people in higher positions of authority, power, they take notice of you because now you're at your best when your best is needed and they want you in that company. Any amens on that? Now, when you get to that place in your life because you have followed this God pattern, now I would say that you're in your sweet spot. And the sooner you get to your sweet spot, the better, right? And then you keep improving even though you're in your sweet spot. Let me give you three things not in your notes about a sweet spot. And there's many, many more. But the first one I want to say is this. When you get to your sweet spot, you really enjoy what you're doing, huh? Anybody know what I mean? It's not a job anymore, is it? You wake up and it's like, I really like this. I really enjoy this. You guys think, does it look like I enjoy what I do or not? I love what I do. It's like, I can't imagine doing anything else. You know that people ask me, and somebody asked me this last week again, it's like, don't senior pastors usually take Monday off? But you don't? I go, no, because most senior pastors are depressed after Sunday morning services. I'm not. I'm not. I want to hit it. I want to go at it again. I love what I do. I love to come back and hit it again and hit it again because it's not a job to me. Does it take a lot of time? Yes, but it's not a job to me. I love it. And you in your sweet spot, young people, listen, you get to your sweet spot, you'll love it. You'll never think, oh, I got to go to work tomorrow. You'll be like, yeah, I'm ready for work, man. I'm ready to go. You'll be in your sweet spot. Let me tell you another thing about the sweet spot. And that's this. Never forget there is a moral attachment as a follower of Christ. What do I mean? If you took life of Nehemiah with me, whether in the women's group that I taught or the men's groups that I taught, this last round, we'll, we'll do second round coming up, you know that I shared that Nehemiah in the Old Testament, he comes to re rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Now, did he come to rebuild the wall because he thought it was just a good idea? No. He came because he was burdened. When he heard about the plight of the people, 
back in Jerusalem because the walls broken down, gates burned. The enemies can come in any time they want. The people were defenseless. There was no one there to protect them. There was no wall to protect them. See, when he heard that, that really heightened up his burden. There was a moral attachment to what he was going to do. Listen, friends, listen, and listen closely, young person. If you're going to take this message in, and it's just about making more and more and more money, and that's it, then you're going to be so unhappy. Because when you get to there, guess what? You said, when I get there, I'll be happy. When you get there, guess what? There moved. It always moves. Because it doesn't make you happy. It's just a means to an end. There should always be a moral attachment to your life. When I'm successful, what am I going to do with what I have? How am I going to help other people? Where will I volunteer? What am I going to do with this stuff? You're a God-fearing man or woman. This is what your basic question is in life. There should always be a moral attachment. What are you going to do with everything that God has given you? Because there's a responsibility to that. But if it's just about money and as many things in the driveway as you can get in the biggest house possible, and that's it, this, you'll, be, you'll be miserable. You'll be miserable. Why do you think the surveys say in America, we have the most stuff, and yet we're the most unhappy? Isn't that crazy? It's absolutely crazy. But as a follower of Christ, you know, and I know, that's because people are void of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can give you joy. He's the only one that can give you happiness. He's the only one that can fill that gap because everything else is just an inanimate object. It's a lifeless object that gives no life. Never forget that. There's got to be a moral attachment. And the third little thing I want to say about that, not in your notes, is this. As you're developing yourself and you get so good at what you do, have a good attitude. Develop a good attitude. Look, if you're walking around angry, then get some counseling, no matter how long it takes. If you're walking around with unforgiveness, start forgiving. If you're walking around bitter about this and that and mom and dad or whatever, fix it. Fix it. Look, when I hire, and this took me about 12, I don't know, 13 years, I can't remember exactly, but it took this long for me to finally understand this. When I make a hire, there's three C's I look for, and those of you who hire, listen closely. The first C is character. That's at the top of the list. That's not compromisable. They got to have character. They got to live right. Because you got to be able to trust them, correct? But after that, the other two C's are competence and chemistry. Character, competence, chemistry. Now, why is that important? Why isn't competence at the top? Because competence is a skill set. It's the ability. Well... You can have the most competent person on the job or in your company, but they can destroy the company. Can they not? If they don't have character. If you watch sports, you all know you can name certain athletes who are head cases and they're poison in the locker room, right? And they're some of the best athletes in the world, but they're just poison because there's something wrong in the character. Listen, listen, listen. I remember where I learned this lesson the hard way. I was going through the church. We're going through a miserable season of something that happened. And it was out there. It wasn't my fault, honestly. But it was something. And 
It's the kind of thing you feel like running, saying, forget it, I don't want to do this anymore. And I remember I was, I was teaching on midweek Bible study. And I was teaching through Joshua. And I got to Joshua 6. And one of the commentaries I read by Warren Wiersbe, thank God for Warren Wiersbe, he's one of my favorite commentators. He made a statement about Joshua 6, about Achan. If you don't know who Achan is, go and read Joshua 6. But Warren Wiersbe said, never underestimate, listen to me, those of you who hire, those who have companies, Warren Wiersbe said, never underestimate the damage that one person can do to the organization. Never underestimate. They take that thing down. They'll destroy it. Because Achan was told, like everyone else, do not take anything under the ban of Jericho. It all belongs to God because that was the first city they were going to take. And you always give your first fruits unto God. Amen? We call it the tithe. But he steals some stuff and he hides it in his tent and men, warriors, die. They die because of his disobedience, because of his lack of character. Never underestimate it, guys. Character. Competency. And chemistry. If they have right character, they're going to have good chemistry. They're going to get along with other people. If you don't get along with other people, and it's always that way wherever you go, who's the common denominator in the equation? It's you. It's not them. See, you need to be the most positive person in that job. You need to have the best attitude at that job. You need to be that person. You're a follower of Christ. I mean, this is your testimony. This is your witness. This is what, when people look at you, they're saying, that's what Christ is like. He's just an angry person. Or he doesn't want to talk to anybody. Or he's humbug in the morning. You got to fix those things. Fix them. Did I make sense to anybody here? Okay, good. Now, let, let, me, let me finish this off, this whole thing. Because once you get all these things in place and you elevate and you move into higher places, now let me take all these points together and let me put it in a Bible story, okay? And it's one of my favorites and I use it periodically. It's the story of David and Goliath. You say, Jim, you use that a lot. Yeah, and it's okay. I'm going to use it again. Because Have you ever noticed, I don't care how many times you read a story, there's so many different applications. It's like the Holy Spirit just illuminates you. So David, if you don't know the story, but most of you do, David, he goes, he's a shepherd boy, he's guarding the sheep, and his dad says, hey, take some food to your brothers. They're out in front of the battle line, and they're fighting the Philistines. It's, every day it's battling time. So take food to them, take food to the king, King Saul. Okay. So David is like 15, 16, 17. He's somewhere in there, you know, he, he just got off baseball practice at school, and now he's going to go. He's gonna go. He gets to the front line in the Valley Elah. And no one's fighting. No one has fought. And he's shocked. And there's a big giant guy on the other side of the Philistines, over there, and his name is Goliath. And he's like over nine feet tall. And David's a high schooler. And, and, and all the brothers, his brothers, all the Israeli soldiers, they're just shaken because it's mano y mano. Winner take all. Goliath every day comes out. He goes, come on, I'll fight you one foot. And nobody wants to fight him. And it's winner take all. Nobody wants to fight the guy. Now, when he comes out that first day and he's nine feet plus tall, he's big, right? 
But you go 40 days of him coming on, because he did it for 40 days. By the 40th day, if you thought he was big the first day, how big does he look on the 40th day? He like, looks like 49 feet tall. See, you deal with your problems right away, right? Because otherwise they get bigger and bigger and bigger. So deal with it now. Deal with it now. So David standing there, and then the worst thing could happen for Goliath is David heard him taunting God, his God, and the armies of Israel. And David says, because he's, no, he's 17, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And then he asks, what will be given to the man who kills that guy? Well, his brothers are all mad. You just came here to make fun of us. No, you're terrified. I mean, it was just a question. He turns his back to the brothers, and he says, what will be given to the man who kills Goliath? Well, they say, well, you don't have to pay taxes the rest of your life. <laughs> I'd be like, sign me up right now, man. <laughs> and then he says, you get to marry the king's daughter. I'd say, where's her yearbook? Let me see what she looks like. bad Jim if you think I'm goofy now wait for until I'm 70 man it'll be bad I know you thought I was like 40 but it's okay so um, so you get to marry her okay so he goes out there and they try to give him the king's armor but it's too big because Saul himself is like probably near 7 feet he's the tallest man in Israel and here's David he's a little ruddy guy and he takes his sling and five smooth stones pulls him out of the dry brook there and he has a stick because he's a shepherd <laughs> and he goes and he goes out there and Goliath looks at him and, it's, and Goliath's like are you kidding me? he goes what am I a dog did you send this kid out to me with a stick? and then he looks at David and he says David I'm going to kill you today I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the sky and David looks at him and says, I know you are, but what am I? No, he doesn't say that. And David looks at him and he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, I'm going to kill you today. You dare to taunt the armies of the living God. I'm going to kill you today and I'm going to chop your head off. I'm going to feed you to the birds of the sky. Goliath thought, what is this, a joke? And David puts one of those rocks in the sling and he starts running at Goliath. He's running at Goliath, and Goliath thinks, oh, this is great. He's going to come near me, I'm grab him, snap him in half, and that's it. And then before David gets too close, and hits Goliath in the forehead. And Goliath just goes, boom, to the ground. And then David runs up and gets Goliath's sword, because, you know, he's a big guy, and David's 17. Slices the guy's head off. Picks it up. And he sings, we are the champions, we, no, he doesn't sing, he doesn't sing. no, that's not in the Bible, okay, that's my Jim Del Campo rendition, of the that's what I would have sang anyway, or I would have sang, I want to rock and roll, no, I would have done. and now all of David's brothers and the army of Israel, they're all confident now, yes, let's go kill everybody, oh, now you're confident, and the Philistines run, and Israel wins, and the rest is history. Now, let me tell you, let me piece it together. How did David get there? Because he was a shepherd for years and years and years and years on the backside of nowhere. Some of you feel like, I'm on the backside of nowhere. No one notices this. I'm just doing this job that anybody, anybody can do. No, 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 no. 
He's out there shepherding and he's developing the talent because he's got to fight off wild animals against the sheep, right? And shepherds get very, very good with that. Read stories about them. They can hit targets from a distance. And he gets so good at it from preparation day after day after day after day after day that he says, I've killed the lion and the bear. And that's it. This Philistine, I'll kill him too. It'd be like one of them. See, he got so good at it, he had potential, then he developed skill, then he's very confident because the day he walks up there to Goliath, he says, I've killed the lion and the bear. This guy will be the same way. Is he, is he confident? You better believe he's confident because he's good at that thing, man. But then he has the opportunity. You get to kill the guy, marry the king's daughter, pay no more taxes, deliver Israel. Oh, well, I'm at my best when my best is, is needed, right? The door opened. Here it is. I came to bring them burritos, and now I'm going to kill Goliath. I've been ready. I've been preparing for this moment for years and years and years. And kills him. And he delivers Israel. But that's not all. Once he chops off the guy's head, go back and read 1 Samuel. He never, you never find David with the sling again. Because from that moment on, when he picks up that sword of Goliath, he always uses a sword. Why? Because he moves from a shepherd in a matter of hours to being the general of the armies of Israel. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. It opens doors. And now he's the leader. He's a general. And eventually, he's going to be the king. But he's out there, been preparing, preparing, preparing on the backside of nowhere. Listen, young person. Listen, everybody. You got abilities. You got gifts and talents and all these things. Develop them. It's not waste of time. Repetition, repetition, till you get so skilled at it, so confident at it, then the window opens up and you're ready to roll. And it brings you into greater places in life. Do not be that dull axe that everybody says, I can't use that. They've never developed their abilities. They've never developed what they could be good at in life. I will use the person who has developed themselves with a good attitude because that person will always be in demand. Series over. Del Campo out. Let's pray. If you're new here, I love saying that last line at the end of the series. Just so you know. Let's pray. You know, everything I said today is true, but it takes discipline. How much time are you willing to put into it to become the best at what you could be best at? How much time are you willing to put into it to be a 15-year overnight success story? Young person, I hope it penetrated you because otherwise you're going to spend the next 10, 15, 20 years just spinning your wheels. Find out what you have potential in and start gravitating that direction with repetition to get better at what you can do and be in life. And work on your attitude. Get rid of the bitterness if you have it. Get rid of the unforgiveness if you have it. Start smiling more. Be a builder of people. Lose the critical spirit. Nobody enjoys a critical spirit. And become the person. Become the person that God said you could always be. Now, as we close today, 
Remember that when David went out there to the battle line, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? He had a great relationship with God. There's a spiritual side and a physical side. God works through the physical, but the spiritual works through the physical. See, he had a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, it's just the physical of what he's given you. You want to develop, you want to have a relationship with God. And what I mean by that is you want to come into, become a follower of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came, dies on a cross, carries your sins and mine, sheds his blood for your sins and mine so we could be forgiven. He's buried, dies, and then he rises from the dead three days later, a very evidenced fact in history, yes it is, to give us new life. But if you've never walked in that new life, if you've never become a follower, today's the day. Let's do it. Let's get it right. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to embark on your journey, your walk as a follower of Christ. He's going to forgive you of your sins. The Spirit of God's going to come and dwell in you, live in you. And you enter into a relationship with the creator of the universe through his son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So if you've never done that, whether in this room or watching me online or later on this week, as you view this service, I want you, if you want to embark on your journey with Christ, begin your walk of faith with him. Become a follower. I want you to repeat this prayer. And if you backslid, you want to come back to Christ, you repeat this prayer too. You know what that means if you're a Christian and you've backslid. So everyone's going to say it out loud with me in this room. Anybody in here wants to follow Christ beginning today or rededicate your life or at home, you guys say it too. Say it out loud. Here we go all together. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. I give my life to you today. Today I choose to follow you. The only true living God. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I pray, Jesus. Oh, I pray, Lord God, that these new followers would follow you. If you said that prayer... Get around Christians and they'll guide you. If you're in this room and you said that prayer for the first time, rededication, talk to the prayer team afterwards, my left, your right, they'll guide you. Or go to the Connect Center outside, they'll guide you. Or go to our website online, it'll give you first steps in your faith. But you need to now connect. Christianity was never meant to be lived alone. It's not in the New Testament at all, or in the Old Testament. You walk as a fellowship of people. Thank you, Jesus, for saving people. Thank you, Lord. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.